We'll have a happy new year. Is this working okay? Okay. Yes. All right, good. All right. So, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would please open to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John, in chapter 10 at the beginning. We will be reading from the very beginning of the chapter. And the setting for our verses this morning here in chapter 10 follows just after Jesus heals a man born blind and the rulers, the Pharisees, refused to believe it and condemned the healed man. So the Pharisees are said to be standing around Jesus at this point, asking if they too are blind. And Jesus tells them, yes, their guilt remains. Then Jesus starts here in our verses with, truly, truly, I say to you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you this morning that we can read about what a good shepherd we have in Jesus. And how that word good seems so insignificant. Just one of the amazing things that we could say about our shepherd. And he is very, very good, our great shepherd. So Lord, as your word goes out today, Lord, let it be like a sword dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judging the thoughts and the attitudes of each of us. Help me, God, today to say these things well and give us all ears to hear what a good, good shepherd we have. Amen. So now as we look at our passage this morning, we start with the first portion, verses 1 to 6, and in these first verses, John writes that Jesus is setting a scene about how a shepherd and sheep function and relate. These first verses are, as John says at the end of verse 6, a figure of speech Jesus used with them. Jesus doesn't explicitly relate it to himself, but it's just setting the scene with metaphors. So, verses 1 to 6, here in chapter 10, to set the scene. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, to those listening, he is stating things they already know. Sheep and shepherds are part of life in Israel. 
in that day and age, they know all about sheepfolds and flocks and shepherds and sheep thieves. Think about King David as a shepherd boy having to do heroic things to protect his sheep. So Jesus is changing the subject from the man born blind in chapter 9. He's now setting the stage to say things about himself which are so profound that immediately after our verses, many Jews say, he has a demon, or he is insane or raving mad. Jesus says things which challenge readers who think Jesus is best remembered as a good teacher. To be intellectually honest, after Jesus says these things, one must admit he is either God or is indeed insane. Jesus uses the sheep and shepherd metaphors many times during his ministry. At one point, he described believers as sheep and unbelievers as goats. And another time, sheep being lost without their shepherd, one sheep in particular, to be rescued while the other 99 wait. So the scene is set. There is a sheepfold with a door and a gatekeeper and the shepherd. There are thieves, robbers who climb in otherwise. These sheep know the shepherd's voice and follow him out, and only him, because if it's a stranger speaking, the sheep will flee away. And that is verses 1 to 6. What John calls a figure of speech, and then he finishes with, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They understood the words, but not their ultimate meaning. So now, Jesus expands and explains as he goes back over the details of the scene he has set as we pick up again in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, or the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So, in here, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. 
and again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So there is the sheepfold and the door. The sheepfold is for Jesus' sheep, true believing children of God, and the only way for the sheep to enter that sheepfold is through the door. Everything about the sheepfold which is good has to do with the door. Thieves and robbers don't use the door. They avoid the door, don't believe it is the way into the sheepfold. They don't like having to submit to entering only by the door. Whether they are legalistic Pharisees or false teachers, thieves come to kill and destroy. Certainly these Pharisees standing there listening would have some understanding of what Jesus was describing. Since we know the other Gospels tell us those times Jesus had spoken of shepherd and sheep, and they are very familiar with passages in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about God's condemnation of the way some spiritual leaders treated their sheep, the opposite of the good shepherd. Ezekiel tells the leaders what God thinks of those best described as thieves and robbers. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you not have bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. How desperately they and we need a good shepherd. It is a very serious thing trying to enter the sheepfold by other means than the door. There are some segments of Christianity where the parishioners are pointed rightly toward the door and then taught every possible human way to try to go around the door into the sheepfold. Be baptized. Say a simple prayer with certain words. Act like Jesus. Follow certain church practices. But then, to continue the metaphor, many people may see the sheepfold, the church, the promise of a heaven they imagine and desire to enter. They may ponder the door, but make no movements. But Jesus says they must come through the door. Jesus declares in John, no one comes to the Father except through me, through the door, through faith alone in Christ, trusting him and the truth of his word that he did indeed suffer on the cross and die for your sins. In other words, as Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But unfortunately, it seems many don't want to enter that way. And no wonder, the way Jesus describes it. 
Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And immediately after, he then points out the thieves and robbers of the sheepfold. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False teachings and other lies to try to convince you, yes, there is another way into the sheepfold. Go around the door. Don't enter through the gate. But Jesus tells us in Luke, we must strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter. Agonize over it. Count the cost to go through the door. Proper entrance into the sheepfold. Then, living in constant repentance, in self-sacrifice and self-denial, living for the glory of another, no longer for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again, living for the glory of Christ. Never to leave back out of the sheepfold to the world where you came from. Realizing outside the door, a person is blinded by the God of this age, the one who has blinded the eyes and minds of unbelievers. So strive, says Jesus, to enter through the narrow door before it is shut for good upon your departure from this life. When Jesus will say, I never knew you. So after Jesus says in our verses, if anyone enters by me through the door, he will be saved, he continues, and will go in and out and find pasture. These sheep who have entered, they will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus brings them into the fold, keeps them safe, protects them, but then there is far more for his sheep. Sheep need food, and we know what the resurrected Jesus said about food after eating some fish on the shore, about sheep food. He told Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you truly, truly love me, Peter? Then feed my sheep. Preach the word so believers may feed on Christ by the Holy Spirit through his word, our main pasture. Then Jesus continues in our passage. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life. For those who have entered the sheepfold by Jesus and been saved. Of course, saying abundant life can result in some strange teachings and imaginations about what that abundant life is, Jesus promises. Abundant possessions? Abundant ease of life? No, but rather this truth from Hebrews about believers' abundant life bought by the death of Christ who destroyed death and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery 
freed from fear of death, not knowing what's after, but rather now knowing God's promise of eternal life in heaven. That's pretty abundant. And what else? Not just no longer in slavery to the fear of death, but slavery to sin, sin which leads to death. Because there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Eternal death, damnation, and ruination should a person say no to entering the sheepfold by the Lord Jesus. But that abundant life, that's life after crucifixion. Our crucifixion. We crucified with him, so we are no longer enslaved to sin, died to sin, and set free, now slaves to righteousness in Christ. That abundant life, no longer bearing fruit for death, but fruit of good works, of sanctification, and finally, eternal life. And we're not alone. God has given us full armor to put on daily, the shield of faith to ward off the enemy's attacks, and the word of God, the sword of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who has come to live in you, and the same result as the promise made to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is really good is this includes what Paul says. By that power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We can go on about our abundant life here as we live our lives. We know the same God who created the heavens and the earth listens to you, believer, when you pray. Acts in you according to his perfect purpose for you. Like Paul says, we, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. And in that, Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt, what? Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And even, even if you don't know what to pray for, even then, Paul tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And what more about abundant life? Hopefully, hopefully, we will be like the disciples who saw Jesus cleansing the temple. We'll read about it and have the same reaction. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. To be like Paul in his way of life, his ministry to others. That the love of Christ, his love for Christ, which springs from Christ's love for him, this love compels Paul. He says it controls him, it grips him, it seizes him to do the work of his ministry. And for Paul, it's based on this, that those who live, believers, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is God's abundant life for us. Now then, Jesus says something believers love to hear and is often said 
of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. That simple word good seems like an understatement at first, but then he continues about what good means. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's going to tell his listeners five times in our few verses, this good shepherd lays down his life. He tells us no one cares about his sheep like Jesus does. Others, like the hired hand in here, they will flee when trouble comes. Now, real shepherds, they are a tough bunch, living mostly in lonely places, tending their sheep in fold and pasture, always on call, taking care of very needy animals. Shepherds, they have a knowledge and understanding of each of their sheep living with them day by day. Not an easy life, this constant dedication to their well-being. We get a small picture of the shepherd's earthly life from the shepherd Jacob as he is leaving his uncle Laban in Genesis with all his flocks. Jacob sums up the many years of his shepherd life in one sentence. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. How incredibly needy the sheep are. And thus that description of Jacob's shepherd life. For Jesus, yes, very needy sheep. But he cares for them in a way and with a joy only God himself, your shepherd, can. Like the psalmist says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So, if you are a Jesus sheep, good idea to think of yourself like a real sheep, not a strong animal running on his own with his innate great power. A sheep. For Jesus' sheep, their life is much better when they live along with the other sheep of the sheepfold and much better when someone infinitely smarter than them is commanding and guiding them carefully because on their own, they wander away into all kinds of trouble and get destroyed by wolves. In our passage this morning, there are lots of descriptions about what the various people do. Thieves, robbers, hired hands, shepherds, and then of course the sheep. A long narrative with lots of different characters, but little about their relationships until verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says no a lot there. He had already said he is the good shepherd, and this good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But now 
he goes on to say how the shepherd and the sheep relate to each other. The good shepherd, Jesus, knows his own, and his own know Jesus, the ones he lays down his life for. Why is this important? When Jesus prays his high priestly prayer before going to the cross, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, to know God through Jesus Christ, the shepherd who lays down his life, crucified on the cross, taking away sin for those who come to believe, to know, truly know, and be known by Jesus. To be like Peter, when Jesus speaks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, speaks about eternal life, and many turn away. Will Peter go away? No. He knows Jesus. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Our good shepherd knows his own and his own know him. And as we noted in verse 15, Jesus says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, John's gospel gives us good direction on what that knowing is by the many words of Jesus. And will you notice, it has a lot to do with obedience, doing the Father's will. Jesus wants to obey the Father. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus does as a father commands, so the world knows Jesus loves the Father. It's his sustenance to do the Father's will. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, says Jesus. So Jesus, our good shepherd, keeps his word, lays down his life for the sheep. He knows the Father, and the Father knows him. He obeys the Father at all times, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. No matter what, no matter the anguish and Jesus' coming, wrath-bearing torture upon the cross for the sins of all who would believe, yet not my will, Father, but your will be done. John elsewhere makes it clear how we believers truly know Jesus. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So our good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep who he calls his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the wonderful truth of our knowing our God through Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit in us to empower and guide us, since the Lord is the believer's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Through the good and bad, trials and joys, hopefully, often to lie down in green pastures, to be led beside still waters. 
to have our souls restored, to submit to him leading us in paths of righteousness. When Paul writes Romans, the very first sentence states the purpose of his life's work as an apostle, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Is Paul successful? Do we believers live for the sake of his name? Our obedience as we live our lives demonstrates, confirms the reality of our love for Jesus, that is, our truly knowing him. What about the opposite? What about not knowing Jesus and the Father? What trouble the word knowing can bring? A person says, yes, I know all about the good shepherd. I know all about his miracles, all about his good teachings, about his death on the cross. But not truly knowing Jesus in a saving way by faith? Not being truly born again before you leave this present life? If one refuses to believe Jesus who says, I am the door, the only door, after this life, your day of judgment will come and this master will shut the door. Your lack of knowing Jesus will not help you as you stand outside and knock, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. And he will continue. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But thanks be to God. In our text, Jesus goes on in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. He's not considering it. He might do it. No. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. It's going to happen. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, Jesus says. How wonderful to look at be with any person, young or old, black or white, tall or short, nice or mean, and think, we will one day depart from here, but it could be together forever, standing together, sin banished from our hearts, praising our Savior forever. I hope that sounds good to you, the blindness it brings, your new blindness. Believers, we were formerly blind to the truths of the gospel, but now we see salvation in Christ. But we now have a new blindness. Blindness to all the things about people, how they look, or where they came from, which would keep us from seeing them in the most important way possible as future worshipers of our King Jesus. This could be a child of God. Hear his voice. They will listen to my voice. Hear the gospel of grace. 
God's amazing grace? Jesus calling to a dead and trespasses sinner? Believe! He raises dead persons with just a word. His word. Take away the stone. Lazarus, come out. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. A very dead person became very much alive. Same for dead, helpless sinners. Called to new life, alive in Christ forever. What kind of people does that happen to? In Revelation, we are told. By your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Yes, every people and nation, every city in every nation. Maybe it didn't seem like that to Paul when he first arrived in Corinth, saw it could have been called pagandom with its extensive immorality. But he went to a brother's house to teach and persuade whoever would listen. Many believed, and God confirmed it to him, and it should be confirmed to us. Go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? For I have many in the city who are my people, many who would come to faith through Paul's constant proclamation of the gospel. So now Jesus ends referring back to his father in his obedience to him in all he does and saying again, he lays down his life for his sheep. The father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He reminds us he does it willingly. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. In obedience to the Father, this charge I have received from my Father. Do we see the love Jesus and the Father have? Jesus does everything the Father tells him, even laying down his life, sacrificed upon the cross for our sins, but willingly. He receives nothing from us he needs in his torturous death for our sins, for those he calls his friends, we believers. The depth of Jesus' love shown to us is in his dying, is in its freedom. Was Jesus troubled it was coming? Yes, we must never forget the humanity of Christ. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He knows his own, and his own know him, just as the Father knows him, and he knows the Father and he lays down his life for his sheep. Our shepherd is never thwarted in his plan for his sheep. Nothing these sheep deserve, you and I. He secures a place for you in heaven. He does it all willingly in love, and we come to know him 
the greatest of all pastures he takes believers to, the greatest abundant life Jesus gives, to simply know him, know him once the eyes of your heart have been enlightened by him to know his love for redeemed sinners, to know him like the psalmist. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Evangelism can be very frustrating. Yes, because you may wonder if anyone you speak to ever actually comes to faith in the hearing of the gospel. But that's not the frustrating part I'm thinking of. It's this. One can lead a person through the main parts of the gospel about sin depravity of man, hell, the wrath of God, the substitutionary death of Christ upon the cross for their sins, repentance, the salvation from damnation that is theirs by faith alone, and of course, the obedience which must then follow, pleading them to follow that judicial path to forgiveness that they may be saved from the wrath of the judge of all the earth. But there is usually no time or even a way to properly explain knowing the love of Christ that is to come should they follow the way of salvation. Oh, but one can't know it beforehand. That is to know Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who then takes up residence in them, the one who created them for the very purpose of knowing him and worshiping him, glorifying him, enjoying him forever. How glorious and irresistible if they could just know him like we believers know him. Paul says it well, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to know him in your knower, your inmost being, like a song we sometimes sing that says it simply. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing.
Church, there is no greater Father, thank you that we have a good shepherd in your son, Jesus, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, lays it down only to take it up again by his own authority. Thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient to the Father in all you did, even to the point of death, death upon a cross, that we could be freed from the slavery of the fear of death and slavery to sin and have the abundant life of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And oh, what love you shower upon us in our hearts to know the love that is beyond knowledge. So God, do that in those who are without your salvation today. We ask that you would do miracles in people's hearts who are unbelieving in God and our hearts who are believers. By the power of the Holy Spirit, let us abound in hope today that we know the judge of all the earth who has placed all of our sins upon the Son of God. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes who are yours to know these truths and to say, yes, we shall worship you forever and ever and give thanks and praise to you in all eternity.